1 Corinthians 12. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except in the Holy Spirit. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the, but the same Spirit, and there are varieties of service, but the same Lord, and there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good, and to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to the other the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. For just as the body is one, it has many members, and all the members of the body, through many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For one, for in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, Because I am not the hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, Because I am not an, an eye, I do not belong on the, to the body that would not make it any less a part of the body if the whole body were an eye where would be the sense of hearing if the whole body were an ear where would be the sense of smell but as it is God arranged the members in the body each one of them as he chose if all were a single member where would the body be as it is there are many parts yet one body the eye cannot say to the hand I have no need of you nor the head to the feet I have no need of you on the contrary, the parts of the body that seem weaker are indispensable, and on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, honorable, we bestow the great honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. All are apostles. Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a more, a still more excellent way. Well, good morning to each of you, and welcome you to um, enter into this uh, passage. Um, our text this morning is Colossians uh, chapter 3, and we're going to look again at verses 12 through 15 with a little different emphasis. <clears throat> Two Sundays ago, we looked at this passage and we considered uh, primarily verse 12, 
thinking about the characteristics that the individual applies to their life. And we see the five character traits, and we see the imperatives to let the peace of Christ rule and to be thankful. This morning we want to look at the same text in a little different light, that of the character of the Christian body. And so I'll read this text and then we'll launch in. It's Colossians 3, beginning at verse 12. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. In the passage from Corinthians that Martin read for us, we saw the different gifts of the body. We see that some are teachers, that some care for people, that some live and act in the body of Christ out of their own personal gifting. And we're each called to give back what we have been entrusted with. And so that the body of Christ is not primarily one type of gifting, but is made up of all. And so each of us are to work well and work hard in the body of Christ with our gifting. The idea of what we want to think about this morning, though, is not necessarily the individual giftings, but uh, maybe to consider the rules of engagement for those giftings. You see, if, if, if the military would have a mission, they're going to go somewhere and do something, there's rules of engagement that say, you've got to follow these rules. It's not just every man for himself. It's not just free and open. But there's certain rules of engagement that one must follow. And so in the same, in the Church of Christ, there are rules of engagement. And there are certain ways that we act within the body of Christ. And these rules of engagement don't really matter if you're the preacher, if you're a first-time attender, if you're anything in between. The rules of engagement apply to all of us. And so, if I was to distill this into one sentence, I would say that the character of Christ is worked out in the church as we bear with each other, as we practice active forgiveness, and as we seek harmony in love. So we have three, three main ideas. The first is that we bear with one another. I don't know if, uh, how familiar you are with humanity. Um, 
I don't think anybody has an experience of people where everything is just perfect. Everything is smooth. Even in our closest relationships, we find often a lot of friction and tension. The idea that bearing gives here is to be patient with the sense of enduring possible difficulty. With a sense of enduring possible difficulty. There's a reality in every relationship we have. We'd better plan. I, I would take away the possible. I would say inevitable difficulty. And it's interesting to interact with uh, young couples approaching marriage and, and everything is perfect. And everything will be perfect. Perfect. And then the reality of life hits and the reality of the different of people hits. And we must learn to endure difficulty. Another way we consider bearing is a, a mechanical item. And I'd like us to consider that for a little bit. And I, I brought one with I me. Mean, most of us have seen these. Now... Some of them have bearings out here, too, but as you notice, that doesn't work very well, okay? But that works quite well, because there's a bearing in there. Now, if you think about a bearing, and if you took it apart, you would find some components. You would find some rollers on the inside. And what those rollers do is take the contact of the force and they share it among different places, different points of contact on the shaft. So instead of having one point of contact bearing all of the weight, all of the friction, all of the heat, it's now spread out. And depending on the size, depending, depends how many different rollers or bearing balls that you'll have in there. Well, I think that we could consider verse 12 as maybe the rollers within the bearing. Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience. You see, if we enter into relationships with those things as a central part of our reality, a central part of interacting with people, now the force of the friction of the, of the possible difficulty is now born at a couple different points. And so the weight of the relationship is now borne by the characteristics that God compels upon us. The enemy of closeness in relationships, the enemy of the building up of the church is when we allow the friction and heat in those relationships to take us away from the core focus of the church, the core focus of the gospel. Jesus says in the first chapter of Acts that we're to go and compel, be witnesses to the gospel. And nothing holds us back from that more than the kind of internal friction 
that we may have. But we have this idea that bearing is this sort of grit your teeth, hang on for dear life, try to make it through. That, you know, there's this, this brother over here and, and he and I just don't get along and our reaction, our interactions are just iron sharpening iron all the time, okay? And, and we have this idea that somehow bearing with that is sort of, I'm just going to put up with it. Well, I think there's a different way to think about that in that it's not a grin and bear it proposition. I think it's a, an active seeking to practice these fruits. So as we put these fruits of the Spirit into our own lives, and as we practice them on other people, especially those with possible difficulty, we begin to, we're able to bear more friction, more heat, more stress in those relationships. In the same way of, a, of an actual mechanical bearing, the more weight and stress you're going to put on it, the bigger one you build. And so maybe our reality in dealing with personal stress with people is to cultivate within ourselves the characteristics that can bear that weight. And so as we implement these characteristics in our own lives, we begin to have a greater ability to treat others in the body of Christ as Christ would have us treat them. The second thing that we see is we are to be forgiving of each other. This is forgiveness with a side of giving graciously. It has the idea of, of one very willing to see the best in others, to quickly overlook the weakness of his brother. It's interesting that he cages that idea of forgiveness with the statement, if one has a complaint... He's acknowledging, again, that there's possible difficulty. If one has a complaint, if one has an area to cast blame on another. Now, in this passage, I don't think he's, he's speaking to areas of unrepentant sin or a, a sin to death that, that 1 John 5 would speak about. And so we're not, we're not overlooking or bearing sort of mortal sins. Uh, the church is called to enter into those and to call one back from those. But it, it's kind of the, the everyday weaknesses of humanity. The foundation of this forgiveness is that the Lord has forgiven us. We have this idea of forgiveness that it's merely, it's merely making a decision inside of your head to say, I'm, just, I'm not going to hold that against that person or they're not responsible for it anymore. And I think that makes light of forgiveness. If we consider 
our forgiveness purchased in Christ. God didn't merely make an exchange, if you want to say. He didn't merely just say, well, I'm not going to hold that against you anymore. God himself, in, in the form of his son, took upon himself the cost and penalty for sin. And so, in the same light, true forgiveness says, I have been wrong. I have been wronged. And it has cost me. But I will bear and pay that cost. And I will free you from that debt. Because I myself have paid it. We see this idea worked out in Matthew 18 the parable of the unmerciful servant. And what you have is a man who owed much, and as as is Jesus' way, he uses kind of an extreme example. Okay, this would be, um, you know, someone of massive proportionate debt, someone who owes billions of dollars, in today's world, and he realizes his absolute inability to ever pay that back. And so he falls upon the mercy of of the person he owes, and he says, please forgive me. And that person freely grants that forgiveness. But then that person went to another man who owed him 10 bucks and said, give it to me. And he was harsh with him. Jesus says that is a a wicked and an unfaithful servant. And so in the same way for us, as we interact with each other, as we see these places of friction, true forgiveness recognizes what God has forgiven us of and is willing to bear the cost of these things. Thirdly, He says, above all, love. Above all, love. Jesus says in John 13, little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Now this idea of love does not replace the second great commandment to love neighbor as yourself. That commandment calls us to love all of humanity whether redeemed or unredeemed, whether righteous or sinner, we are to extend the love of Christ to all. But Jesus here in John 13 is is saying what is repeated by the Apostle Paul, that will be known by how we love. The Apostle Paul continues on and said that in this love comes harmony, comes peacefulness. Uh, Francis Schaeffer wrote, if you need a little Sunday afternoon reading, I recommend this tiny little book. It's called The Mark of the Christian. 
And I'll read his final statement here. What then shall we conclude but that as the Samaritan loved the wounded man, we as Christians are called upon to love all men as neighbors, loving them as ourselves. Second, that we are to love all true Christian brothers in a way that the world may observe. This means showing love to our brothers in the midst of our differences, great or small. Loving our brother when it cost us something. Loving them even under times of tremendous emotional tension. Loving them in a way the world can see. In short, we are to practice and exhibit the holiness of God and the love of God, for without this we grieve the Holy Spirit. Love and the unity it attests to is the mark Christ gave Christians to wear before the world. Only with this mark may the world know that Christians are indeed Christians and that Jesus was sent by the Father. And so, Francis Schaeffer there is, is saying what this text says, that the presence of love brings harmony. The presence of love speaks in ways to the truth of the gospel as it is borne out in community. This is a love that is affirming of others. This is a love that is concerned primarily of the health and well-being of others over our own selves. And we must recognize that this type of love is countercultural in so many ways. Our, mo- our modern world says that to love yourself. And you will find many songs and books written about how you should love yourself and that it is in finding the true you that then you can become something to the world. God says to prefer others, to sacrifice your own for the good of others. And in that, you find true meaning. In every situation we find ourselves, we should consider if our actions and that if our actions and attitudes were made known to unbelievers, what would they say about us? Do people observe us, our interactions, and if, if they could see the inside of them, what would they say? Would they say these are just regular people that fight like everyone else does? Or would they say, these are the people of God? This is uncommon. This is unheard of. This love, the Apostle Paul says, creates harmony. Often in many situations, we have an ideal outcome. We want something to happen. Um, We want something good to happen. And so we strategize for it and we pursue it. But often, the gaining of a goal is not necessarily found in in chasing that particular thing, but often it's found in chasing other things. And so in business, profits, the health of a business, are often a byproduct of pursuing other things. 
Okay, so a business owner doesn't go, I want profits. He might. But he can't just say, give me profits. He says, good customer service brings profits, and so we're going to pursue ways to serve our customers. Great products bring about profits, so we're going to pursue the development and innovation of great products, and that's going to make profits. And expanding your customer base can bring profits. And so you're going to pursue new avenues to bring about something else. Often what you're saying is that I want to become these things so I can gain the reward. I can gain the, the outcome. And so love is in a bit the same way. We, we look about harmony and we say, well, How do we get harmony? How do we get on the same page? And our standard answer to that is, harmony is when you agree with me. And if you agree with me, then everything is going to be okay. And again, there's probably 275 people here, and that means there's probably 275 different ways of living life that are right. And so harmony doesn't come when we pursue harmony, when we pursue equalness. The text is telling us harmony comes when we pursue love, when we pursue the good of each other, when we pursue a willingness to lay down what is ours, when we exhibit the love that has been shown to us. And so in these three ways, we see the rules of engagement for the living out of the church. In practical sense, I would say that these first start in the family. If we are not bearing with one another, if we are not forgiving, if we are not loving within our families, we have little chance of being that way in our church. I think the second realization we need to have is that these are God's posture towards us, the source from God's posture towards us. So God is not asking us to be something He has not already displayed. These born out, and finally, these born out in our fellowship at Calvary Mennonite Fellowship. They're not the gospel, but they do bear witness to the gospel that is within each of our hearts. Again, it's sort of the the love creates harmony thing on another level. Unless we're infused with the gospel, unless we recognize the good news that you and I can be the sons and daughters of Christ, that you and I can be the benefits of God's eternal love towards us. If that is our foundation, we can then love graciously because we have been loved. I pray that as we continue working together as the body of Christ, that we would seek these things, that we would seek to bear with one another, 
that we would love and that we would forgive. It is in these that the gospel of of Jesus is put to effect among us. Shall we pray? Father, as we consider these characteristics, as we consider these ways of interacting as the body of Christ, Father, I think often we're we're reminded clearly of our failures in doing so. Father, I pray that that you would forgive us for these failures. That you would call us away from seeking our own. And that you would call us towards living in love that recognizes the incredible gift of love that we have been given. That you would call us to bear with each other that by practicing the fruits of the Spirit, that we would be able to bear with each other. And that you would give us a spirit of forgiveness that recognizes the great debt we have been forgiven. Father, I pray that you would do this in us for the glory of Christ. Amen. Let's have a song.